You want to know something <laughs> exciting? I'll tell you a story. I do. Please tell me. I love your um, stories. So this was an exciting thing that happened to me. So I'm half Micronesian, grew up in America, mm-hmm. as people know. And so sometimes I hear things about Micronesia uh-huh. just as they come up. But obviously it doesn't always come up a lot because memory is fleeting. Yes. <laughs> and so you, sometimes there are triggers that remind my family members. Mm-hmm. So I was plant shopping yesterday. Ooh. And I was with Liliana. And I was in the greenhouse. And I was like, ooh, options. So I was overwhelmed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, naturally, yes. yes. <laughs> and, but Liliana, who isn't really into houseplants, mm-hmm. beelines for this one plant and goes, oh, it's a 4 p.m. plant. And I was like, what? A what? It, so it says it's a sensitive plant on the, oh, yeah, the label. Oh, yeah, So when you touch the leaf, they, it close They close. Uh-huh. Pretty immediately. And she was just petting the leaves and going, in Micronesia, these plants grow as weeds just all over the island. And it's just a thing to call them a four, clo- four o'clock plant because at four o'clock, people will, like, touch them and close sure. them. That's wild. <laughs> and she didn't... I asked her why, and she didn't know why. Uh-huh. But, but that's just a fun new thing I that learned. That is a fun new thing. And now I have one. Do you really? Yeah. How big it. is it? I need to know how big it is. It's probably, like, this big. Uh-huh. Is that four inches? Yeah. A little taller than four yeah. inches? Yeah. And I brought it home, so... Because uh-huh. I dropped off Liliana, and we showed my dad, mm-hmm. because he's also Micronesian. Uh-huh. And he was excited about it. And he was like, Kiana, don't plant that outside. It's going to go everywhere because it's a weed. Uh-huh. And I was like, don't worry. It's a house plant here. And he was like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> That's so crazy. Yeah. I didn't know that. I grew one once Ooh. from seeds from this a little tiny, you know, those little like kitschy things that gives you a teeny tiny pot and like a little tiny disc yeah (laughs) yeah so it was it was one of those and it only got yay big and then it died Mm -hmm. but they're so cool yeah plants that move on their own you know like carnivorous plants or like the sensitive plant like all of those i'm like nature man (laughs) wow wow that's crazy it just be doing shit (laughs) fully autonomous okay you do you boo that's so cool. I Obviously, it's probably kind of a pain in the ass if they're just growing as weeds everywhere. Yeah. But how interesting. Yeah. It also, I've never been to Micronesia, mm-hmm. but I keep getting, like, through my life, collages of what I think the island looks like. Yes. And now with, like, a live plant just uh-huh. growing on the side of the road, it's, it's like, wow, oh, magical. That's so cool. It sounds magical. Yeah. That's so cool. I'm part of a, a several <laughs> house plant groups, mm-hmm. and people will like go on vacation to Mexico or Hawaii or you know somewhere tropical and take pictures of like monstera leaves that are as big as their half their body, mm-hmm. and I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> These things that I can barely keep alive in my home because I love them mm-hmm. sometimes too much. <laughs> they just grow. Yep. And I'm like, oh, nature, girl, you're crazy. <laughs> this is just wild. Nature dropped a new plant. Oh, man. Left and right. Sure and they're did. not, they're never new. They're because never new. They're ancient. Yeah. <laughs> We've just never seen them. And then we do and we go, oh, I want to have that in my house. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. Oh, hello, everyone. Oh, hello, everybody. Hi, guys. This is uh, Broad Scott Moxie. Yes. I'm Kiana. I'm Cassie. 
Danny's here doing her own fucking thing today. So Cassie's very upset about what, what happened was Danny he yelled at me because the last episode was really long. And so she's got to catch up on her editing. And so now she's editing with her own headphones plugged in. I have headphones on. Canna doesn't. We're having a whole situation about I can hear me too much. <laughs> I can hear this. <laughs> I can hear everything. What's happening is Cassie is learning why when we record, Danny goes, stop doing that. Stop. <laughs> it's because she hears everything. Like... <laughs> exactly i am curious about what sounds will come out of you yes while we're recording <laughs> i am full of noises that even i'm unaware of i know sometimes i can hear it from across the room but now mm-hmm. with headphones on i'm very much attuned usually it happens when i'm digesting yeah and i don't feel like i've eaten anything that will cause that oh, okay. i also had my coffee like a few hours ago I know, you texted me at 6.50, and I was like, the fuck is Kiana doing up this early? <laughs> um, I was playing Candy Crush. <laughs> Not an ad, but goddamn, what a good game. Yeah. <laughs> All right, you're going first this week? Yes. So, what are you doing? So, I'm talking about a subject today not a okay. not abroad and i'm going to be talking about the history of women in the summer olympics okay please do <laughs> i am excited about this i feel like yes. there's going to be a lot of things to have feelings about yes all right yes okay let's go so in the time space continuum of the podcast this year 2021 is an olympic year i was like oh I should do the Olympics for the Olympics. This episode has come out now that the Olympics has ended on Sunday. Oh, (laughs) just in the way that it lines up. Okay, I gotcha. But right here, as I'm speaking, the Olympics haven't happened yet. Mm -hmm. They're starting July 23rd, so Friday. I'm very excited. That is very exciting. (laughs) And because I'm excited, Uh everybody else has to hear about it. So that's why I'm talking about the Olympics. Settle in, folks. Yeah. And just as a preview for future episodes that are about to happen, the Olympic shit ain't ending. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Because I am on a kick. <laughs> and I love this kick. And whenever the Olympics come around, I get so excited. I don't know why. It only happens every four years. Yeah. Yeah. We should talk about it. Okay. So our tale starts back with the ancient games. So the Olympic Games date back to 776 BC and were held during a religious festival honoring Zeus. Oh. That old motherfucker. God damn it. (laughs) They were held every four years between August 6th and September 19th, and the event got its name from its location at Olympia. Oh, okay. And that was a sacred site in southern Greece. Famously, the ancient Olympics did not allow women to even attend the games, let alone participate. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. And they were damn serious about it, too. The city where the games were being held decreed that any woman caught present at the games were to be, quote, cast down from Mount Typhum into the river flowing below. Like thrown off a mountain? Yes, into a river. Oh, (laughs) shit! Presumably with the intention of death. I mean, (laughs) I don't think you're coming back from being thrown off a mountain into a river. (laughs) So, yeah. (laughs) Dead sounds about right. Oh, man. Lesser known fact about the ancient sports at the time, though, is that the same years that the Olympics were being held, the rockin' ultra-cool ladies' Harrian Games 
were being held. Oh. Yes. Okay. (laughs) I have never heard of a thing. I haven't either. I was so shocked to find out about it. Yeah. I was like, where have I been? What have I been reading that? (laughs) Where have we all been? Who's heard of this? If you've heard of this, I want to know about it. Yes. Please tell us. So, you know, those ancient Grecians loved to dedicate shit to the gods. Mm Mm-hmm. And these games were no different. The Harian games were dedicated to, you guessed it, the goddess Hera. Uh (laughs) No one is certain of when the games began or why, but some of the earliest documentation was done by Pausanias, a Greek traveler and geographer, in 175 AD. Wow. In his records, he references the games as going back to the ancient times, and he also provides two theories into its origins. The first theory is that Queen Hippodemia... Freshly married to Pelops, I think his name is. (laughs) Pelop. I didn't write that one down. Anyways, freshly married, she was feeling gracious to Hera and selected 16 women to compete in foot races in honor of her. Mm -hmm. Uh, Complete 180 on that. The second theory is that the games were not a result of love, but diplomatic efforts to resolve tensions between two cities in the area. They chose one elderly woman from each of the 16 Peloponnese city-states. Mm-hmm to weave a robe for Hera every four years and to organize the games as a symbol of peace. Oh. Regardless of its origins, every year that the Olympics were being held, 16 women got together to weave a robe for Hera and also unmarried women competed in the foot races. Okay. Because the games weren't exactly the same as the Olympics because let's not forget, women of those times did not enjoy the same legal or political personhood (laughs) as free men. (laughs) And what do we call that? Patriarchy. Patriarchy. The festival included foot races strictly for unmarried girls. Sorry to all the hitched bitches out there. (laughs) And bitches in the empowering sense, to be clear. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And unlike its counterpart, it did not have field events. Okay. Or equestrian events. So like chariot racing. All track, no field is what the event was. Uh, The athletes also did not compete naked like the Olympians did. I'm sorry, what? Oh, so in the Olympics, all the male men competing were mm-hmm. naked. Of course. Did you know that? Jesus. <laughs> so women didn't compete naked. Instead, they competed with their hair hanging freely. Annoying. Yeah. <laughs> Unless they had short hair. And they dressed in special tunics that cut just above the knee and mm-hmm. bared the right shoulder and breast. Okay. Yeah. It's a toga. <laughs> Yeah, with one titty hanging with out. one titty out. You know what? I'm, I'm not doing any kind of track <laughs> events with one titty out. No. But I respect that it's just one. <laughs> they were like, keep that I other one I do love that. <laughs> also, the track was shortened to about one-sixth of the length that the men's track was. Oh, okay. It's also unclear if men were allowed to watch the games. There's just no record of that. Hmm. The champions of the events were rewarded with olive crowns and meat from the animal sacrificed to Hera which is, I also believe, what winners of the Olympics got. They also got the right to dedicate statues of portraits to Hera. Oh, wow. Yeah. In 393 AD, all sporting fun was put to an end by Emperor Theodosius, who was a Christian that mm-hmm. had beef with pagan religion. Well, here comes fun, fun sucker. <laughs> right. <laughs> so he, he called for a ban on all pagan festivals, which put an end to the 12th century year old tradition of the Olympic and Harian Games. Oh, wow. Right? 
Yeah. Yeah. That's a, he's a he's a major fun sucker. Yeah. Leave it to the fucking Christian to come in and be like, no, 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 no fun in games or nudity for you people. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Real buzzkill. It's really too bad because <laughs> it was an old fucking tradition. Yeah. Twelve centuries. Yeah. Shit, man. Nobody can compete naked anymore. That sucks. That does suck. The Olympics would be wildly more popular, I think, if they were all nude. <laughs> It'd be hard as an athlete. It would be very hard as an athlete. I can't imagine doing any of that. Uh, the high jump? Oof. Oofta. <laughs> oh, no. The long jump the long? into the sand pit? Into the just, just wrecked him. <laughs> right into the sand pit. Emphasis on wrecked. <laughs> wrecked him. Damn near killed him. <laughs> uh okay all right <laughs> okay flash forward okay late 1800s a man named pierre de coubertin coubertin french he started an effort to re-establish the olympic games he believed that an international organized sports event would work as a diplomatic tool to lead to less world conflict oh okay sports are naturally democratic he believed they cross class lines and it could promote cultural understanding between nations which is not wrong it's not wrong it's good in theory yeah this is kind of funny he did say the olympics would help lead to less world conflict and after the second one world war one happened so (laughs) (laughs) Um, we clearly had some sore losers in that (laughs) olympic games also early olympic games it's hard it wasn't really international it was mostly just like European. (laughs) Now, with his new iteration of the Olympics, women, of course, could watch it. Yes. But they couldn't participate. Of course not. You want to know why? Tell me. Because he believed, Mr. Pierre, that a woman's event would be, quote, impractical, uninteresting, unesthetic, and incorrect. Oh, Pierre. (laughs) You Danny's French douchebag. <laughs> Just angry. <laughs> okay. He made a compelling argument to all the other white men in the room. <laughs> <laughs> who made him the founder and president of the International Olympic Committee here for IOC. Mm. Love them. And in 1896, the first modern Olympic Games were held in Athens, Greece. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> Kicking it old school. <laughs> yeah. Going back to Greece. Okay. The no women competing didn't last very long mm-hmm. because there was an immediate push from women to allow women to participate. So the games of the second Olympiad were held as a part of the Paris Exposition Universelle, a.k.a. the World's Fair. Gotcha. So the Olympics and the World's Fair were happening at the same time. At this game, 22 out of the 997 athletes to compete were women. Those are some badass broads right there. Yeah. 22 out of almost 1,000? Yeah. Shit. And the sad thing is, several were unaware that they were they were even competing in the Olympics due to the lack of communication. So... <laughs> Yeah, right? <laughs> Some of them just showed up for a race and they're like, what the fuck are all these people here? Well, like, I think I might be remembering <laughs> the wrong person. Okay. There was a tennis player named Charlotte. Forgot her last name. Charlotte. We love Charlotte. Charlotte. We love Charlotte. She didn't figure out she won a gold medal until like 
two months after. Oh my god! Like that kind of shit. <laughs> IOC and Pierre need to get their shit together. They honestly. Communication is key here, folks. Yeah. Well, we can't trust Pierre with anything. No, we can't. He's garbage. <laughs> so this this was the first year women were allowed to compete. Great. This was also the first year that a woman won a gold medal. Excellent. So Helene de Porta- Portelet became the first woman to win Olympic gold as a crew member of the Swiss boat Larina in a sailing competition. Oh. Which were one of the five events that women were allowed to compete in. Oh, I see. Okay. They were limited to tennis, sailing, croquet, equestrian events, and golf. You want to know why? Yes, I do. <laughs> I am curious. They were deemed compatible with women's femininity and fragility, and they could be played in dresses and without quote, putting too much strain on the athlete. Oh, gosh. I was like, croquet <laughs> as an Olympic sport? <laughs> yep. But yeah, I mean, those delicate feminine sensibilities, yeah. you don't want to disturb those <laughs> or literally ruffle a skirt. So, right. Of course it. Okay. Every, you know. Shit. You can't do anything else. You can't breathe. Yeah. Okay. And yet, a woman still won the gold. That's right. Several, because Charlotte also won uh-huh. gold in tennis. <laughs> in a corset, probably. Yeah. Girdled for Jesus, yeah. win in tennis games. <laughs> Namely, happy women could compete. A lot of people were upset because they couldn't compete in track and field, mm-hmm. which is the old Olympic classic. Exactly. And in the Harrian games, it was pretty much all they were able to all, do. And now they're like, oh, no, no, gosh, no. No, their uterus might fall out. Are you kidding? <laughs> they can't. It'll go wandering. <laughs> So in 1917, a woman named Alice Milliant, Milliot, <laughs> no N, Milliot, Milliot, very loudly shouted to the world that these restrictions were fucked up. <laughs> in those words, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so she and other athletes began to make an effort to push back against the unfair treatment. Top of their demands, let women compete in track and field. Changing the rules wasn't an easy task. Considering that Mr. Pierre, the female athletes are impractical and interesting, unesthetic and incorrect, was still president. Ah, yes. (laughs) Yeah. Misogynist (laughs) in charge. Okay. And if you're looking for any support in the IOC, it's still all made up of men. (laughs) So they weren't, (laughs) they weren't into it. Social change, though, was blasting through the world Mm -hmm. as World War I caused a dramatic change in societal order. So, due to the demands of the conflicts, women began to fill roles in society that were previously held by men because men were being called to war. That's right. Alice pointed out that the women's natural fragility argument was proven to be... Bullshit. Complete bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) Like, in real time. Because she... I imagine she was just looked around and was like, um, look at the role that women are taking in this dark, dark time of World War One. How are we fragile? Exactly. Women, women are literally fighting in the war, in, like in Russia. Uh-huh. They're building shit all over the damn cityscape. And they're farming and laboring. Not to mention also birthing yeah. and creating <laughs> life within their bodies. Like, just, women can do fucking anything. Take a gander. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> And the IOC was like, cool point, still no. <laughs> and so the post-war Olympics continued to ban women from track and field as well as other events. Great. Alice, pissed off, sets up the Federation Sportive Feminine Internationale, here for FSFI, 
to oversee the operations of the first ever women's Olympiad, mm. which was basically a revival of the Harrian Games. Okay. A trial event was held in Monte Carlo in 1921, after which the Games were conducted for the first time in 1922, um, which was a non-Olympic year. 77 athletes competed, representing Great Britain, Switzerland, Italy, Norway, and France. In the 1924 Olympic Games, 13 out of 258 competitors were women. Uh, better odds. Better odds. <laughs> Not great, but, you know, we're getting there. <laughs> also, just less less women still. Yeah. But because war times. Mm -hmm. That same year, the Women's Olympiad had an impressive showing in the track and fields events that caught, like, public attention. Mm-hmm. Proving that athleticism was something that a woman had. <laughs> right? Pierre, crazy thoughts. People are interested in watching these fast fucking women yeah. run and do shit. Exactly. Mm. And they're not wearing dresses. Exactly. <laughs> Following the event, the president of the International Association of Athletic Federations, the IAAF, okay. which works very closely with the IOC, mm -hmm. but they also do things like world championships. Oh, okay. Gotcha. So the president of the IAAF, Johann Siegfried Edstrom, was like, hold on. You're calling this the Women's Olympiad? It's not the Olympics. We have nothing in there. Like, we're not <laughs> concerning ourselves with it. All and right. So Alice and the IOC had a little chit-chat. <laughs> <laughs> After negotiations, the IOC, no longer headed by Mr. Douchebag Pierre, mm -hmm. and the IAAF agreed to include 10 athletic events in the 1928 Olympic Games for women in exchange for Alice altering the title of the Women's Olympiad to Women's World Games. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Five of the events that were added were the 100 meters, 800 meters, 4 by 100 and high jump and discus. Oh, okay. So those five were conditionally added. That was, mm -hmm. that was the word they used. Sure. And then the other five were gymnastics events. Oh, okay. Yeah. Now... The 1928 Olympics have arrived, and the women are finally able to compete in some track and field events. And it is not being taken well. <laughs> um, <laughs> Belgian President Henri de Balliet Latour openly expressed doubts, and the sporting world and press were also being misogynistic fucks. Oh, surprise, surprise! <laughs> <laughs> and unfortunately, shit does get worse. So the 100 meter goes by. Mm -hmm. It's fine. We're having a great time. Run, ladies, run. The 4 by 100 happens. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay, yeah. The 100 relay happens. Chill. Yeah. The 800 meter happens. Uh-huh. And some bullshit occurs. Of course it does. So reporters, instead of writing down the facts of the events... Oh, Jesus. ...thought, we should lie so <laughs> that it, our narrative is supported. Yeah, that yeah. women can't do this. Mm -hmm. So they said at the finish line... Women were weak and collapsing. They were crying because they didn't win. And it was just a huge emotional display that was, like, mm -hmm. terrible to watch is what they were writing. Sure. The race was recorded. Uh-huh. So it is confirmed oh. that that didn't happen. But in the late 20s, sure. TV wasn't popularized yet. Mm -hmm. So there wasn't really a way to correct the information that was being spread. Yep. And it was such a scandal that women would be banned from running in any event over 200 meters until 1960. <gasps> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Wow. 
Yeah. <laughs> oh, Isn't wow. That fucked uh, up. That is fucked. So because the news lied for f- almost 40 years, mm-hmm. women couldn't run further than 200 meters? Yes. I mean, I can't. <laughs> I'm a sprinter girl. I'm not a long distance runner, but but shit. Yeah. Ugh. And there was I watched a documentary and mm-hmm. one of the women who the woman who won the race, okay, won the 800. She was like, "I think everybody did really well, but that stuff that they were saying was a load of nonsense." <laughs> <laughs> and she's very old at this point and just uh-huh. like I, I liked it. I, I love that. <laughs> Alice and the FSFI were like, thanks for that. We hate it. Mm-hmm. And organized the third <laughs> Women's <laughs> World Games in Prague. <laughs> so third Women's World Games happens. It receives positive attention. IOC and Alice are back in the same room to discuss women competing at the Olympics again because okay. of it. And the IOC said that they would propose reforms only if they promised to end the Women's World Games. Oh, okay. Don't love that caveat there. Right. Alice and the FSFI were like, thanks for that. We hate it. (laughs) (laughs) And then demanded that every woman's sport be dropped from the Olympic lineup so that they can dedicate themselves to the Women's Olympiad. And yes, they were like, the Olympiad. (laughs) Let's just make this a thing. No agreement was reached, Mm -hmm. and so in 1934, the fourth Women's World Games were organized. After these games, successful again, IOC and Alice come together. So, they meet up again. Mm -hmm. Alice and the FSFI were like, we're going to come to you with the same proposal. Drop all your shit (laughs) and give it to us. Uh Or work on adding more events to the Olympics that involve women. Mm -hmm. This time, an agreement was reached. Uh, And the IAAF appointed a special commission to cooperate with the FSFI and build the Olympics out. Okay. And end the women's games. This probably happened because of, like, changing worldview. Women were being more accepted into the workforce and just normal societal life. Mm -hmm. And also Alice had become sick at this point, just getting older. So. Gotcha. This was the best option that they saw. Yeah. From there, women's sport into the Olympics was slow going. (laughs) (laughs) And now I'm just going to have a few highlights to get us up to modern day. Okay. Please know that I cannot list everything and have mercy. And if I've forgotten something that you want us to talk about or a specific athlete, Mm -hmm. feel free to email us at thatbroadscoutmoxie at gmail.com. Perfect. Yes, please. (laughs) Here we go. In 1939, Fanny Blankers Cohen, nicknamed the Flying Housewife, (laughs) won four gold medals in track and field. Holy shit. Right. And she became, quote, as well known to Olympic patrons as King George of England. (laughs) Wow. She was a big deal. It was also found out later that she got these gold medals while she was pregnant with her third child. And so she became the first pregnant woman to compete at the Olympics. Holy shit. Yeah. Fanny, girl. Fanny. (laughs) Damn, girl. Damn. 
1948, the women's 200-meter long jump and shot put were added to the Olympic Games. And Alice Coachman became the first black woman to earn an Olympic gold medal. This same year, Victoria Manilow Draves became the first Asian-American woman to win two gold medals in springboard and platform. That's amazing. Yeah. In 1952, horse riding became a mixed individual event. So it's one of the few sports at the Olympics that doesn't have gendered sure. com- competition. Like, it's, yeah. Yeah. Okay. In 1960, the women's 800 meter was reintroduced to the Olympics. Excellent. <laughs> in 1964, women now competed in 12 events with the addition of the women's 400 meter and pentathlon. <laughs> pentathlon. That's a ooh, good job. That's a good word. Thank you. <laughs> Whereas men have the opportunity to compete in 24 events at this time. So. Gotcha. Right at the halfway point there. In 1968, female athletes were required to take sex verification tests or gender verification tests. Men did not have to go through this. Of course not. (laughs) Flames on the side of my face. (laughs) What the fuck? Yeah, it's fucked up. Mm-hmm. In 1972, the women's 1500 meter and the 4x400 were added to the games. In 1976, women's handball, rowing, and basketball were added to the games, and the first ever 10 was achieved at the Olympics by 14-year-old Romanian gymnast Nadia Comaneci. Damn, she was 14. 14. I you can watch the her you can watch it. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> oh, I love technology sometimes. <laughs> Only sometime. <laughs> Only sometime. In 1981, mm-hmm. the governing IOC got its first female committee member. Okay. That's great. <laughs> That's great. Can't Isn't it? fucking believe it took that long. Yeah. That's with all of these things. I'm like, it's great. Not all of it because the sex verification. Yeah. That's fucking garbage trash. Yeah. But all of them, I'm like, yeah. Oh, that's so recent. (laughs) Yes, exactly. 1981? Yeah. Was six years before I was born. And that's the first time a woman was ever allowed to have any say (laughs) in how the Olympics were run. Fuck. Jesus. Okay. In 1984, the women's 3,000-meter marathon and the 400-meter hurdles were added to the games. Also, women's shooting was added to the roster with the three-position rifle, air rifle, and sport pit pistol events. Oh. Nawal El Matawakel became the first Arab Muslim woman to claim Olympic gold for Morocco in that uh, year as well. Very cool. Yeah. In 1988, the women's 10,000 meter was added to the Olympic Games, which is... Ah, I'm just going to skip. Okay. So in 1955, the women's 3,000 meter was replaced with the 5,000 meter uh-huh. because that's what men run. Men don't weren't running the 3,000. Uh-huh. And it was finally decided that, oh, yeah, women could do that. Uh-huh. But keep in mind, I did just say in 88, the 10,000 meter was added, oh. <laughs> showing that women could already run. <laughs> <laughs> They've been running a lot farther than 3,000, guys. Yes. Let's, like, can, we, can we just have a little equity here? Yes. Okay. In 1991, going back a little bit it was decided that any men's event that was added to the olympics were to include a women's event as well good but there were still standing men's events that mm-hmm. didn't have a female or counterpart okay 
1992, 35 countries had no women athletes on their team, unfortunately, still. And at those Olympics, one of those teams that had no women on the team it refused to walk behind the Spanish team <laughs> because there was a woman on the team. I said team like 10 times mm-hmm. in that sentence, but you got what I, I mean. Yes. It was fucked up. That's real shitty. Yeah. Go home. Yeah. That's what I say to you. <laughs> Go home. You you don't get the spirit of sport. No. You, you're <laughs> clearly you're not hateful. understanding if you're that big of a misogynistic asshole to be like, oh, I'm not walking behind that country because they have a lady on their team. Yeah. Go fuck yourself. Yeah. <laughs> In 1993, some Islamic countries organized a women's only game in Tehran. Men were barred from these games as well as photographers and television cameras. Oh, which makes sense. It makes sense, yeah. Culturally speaking, that makes sense. Yeah. And this event was supported by the Olympics because mm-hmm. I don't know if it was put in yet, but at one point they had a charter put into their like decree of okay. things that they try to enforce. Uh-huh. And it was specifically encouraging women to compete in sports regardless if Olympic or not. Okay. And so the Islamic Games were supported. Mm. And continued until 2005. Oh, but wow. Then, yeah. No longer happening. In 1996, a women's only sport was introduced for the first time. Softball. Yeah. <laughs> softball was stopped for a few years, but the 2021 Olympics this year uh-huh. is its return. Yes. Which I'm very excited about. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm really excited to watch. Look, I love a softball player. I'm very excited. Mm-hmm. I'm very excited. Oh, <laughs> in 1999, compulsory gender testing was stopped. Oh, okay. I'm See, sure I've... something <laughs> shitty so, that does the same very intrusive horse shit was introduced to replace it. Mm-hmm. So, little history on why it was stopped. Spanish hurdler Maria Martinez Patino was dismissed and publicly shamed... <gasps> After failing a chromosomal test, she openly fought the ruling against her, arguing in her case uh-huh. that she did not have a competitive advantage because her intersex variation did not provide her with additional testosterone. Uh-huh. And she was given the green light to compete again and the sex verification, gender verification testing, what, what they ever uh-huh. they call it, was put into question. Yeah. Because they were like, okay, is this right? Blah, blah, blah. That being said, <laughs> it also led to the decision that testosterone levels were what they were going to be testing for. Mm-hmm. And it was no longer compulsory, mm-hmm. but athletes will be tested if it was called into question. So, right? Which is such horseshit. Yeah. Because you know who's not being tested for their fucking testosterone levels? All the men. Well, you want to know something interesting. Yes. They did some tests uh-huh. on men, just to make a point. Uh-huh. And 2% of them fall in the quote-unquote female testosterone levels. <laughs> and yet, nothing's being done there. Sure. Sure. <laughs> and, like, why should it be? Because testosterone doesn't. Because we all have it in yeah. varying levels. Fucking weird. It's, That's how the human body works. It's almost like we shouldn't try to put gender into boxes fuck jesus okay anyways sorry (laughs) in the 2000s women were allowed to compete 
in weightlifting. Mm -hmm. And in 2004, women's freestyle wrestling was introduced. Hell yeah. However, wrestlers still did not have the Greco-Roman wrestling events that the men's counterpart does. Oh. Which I'm just saying feels like an oversight. There is significantly less female wrestlers than there are male wrestlers. Yeah. And as the fastest growing female sport in America, <laughs> I feel like it should have some damn respect thrown on it and more opportunities should be given to women. Yes. Oh, sorry. That's all I have to say about Woo. that. I got a little heated. <laughs> in the 2000s, the IOC banned Afghanistan from competing in the Olympics because the Taliban government made a ruling that women couldn't compete in sports in that country. Okay. So they were like, oh, women can't compete in your country. You can't compete in the Olympics. Uh, and then in 2004, Afghanistan had its first female athletes competing. Oh, yeah. okay. Because a little slap on the wrist and telling people to behave sometimes works. <laughs> <laughs> in 2011, the IOC's new gender mm-hmm. quote testing criteria was set and ruled that women athletes must fall below a certain threshold line of testosterone level right mm-hmm. this is the current system in which namibian sprinters christine umboma and beatrice masingli and south african runner caster semenya were barred for competing mm-hmm. fuck off that's what i have to say about yeah. that it's such bullshit. It is. It is. I, sometimes I try to find the silver lining in things. Mm-hmm. It's really fucking new, which means it could be changed really fucking quick. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And I feel like with the press that it's getting right now, yeah. we have seen through the storytelling that the Olympics can be bullied. <laughs> they sure can. <laughs> they can and will be bullied exactly. into making the right choices. Exactly. Until... Until shit is fair and doesn't discriminate and is doesn't do gross testosterone testing to make sure that you are quote unquote this or that, mm-hmm. let's just, you know, yeah. <laughs> let's shit talk them and changing it. <laughs> right. Exactly. Let's make them see that gender cannot be measured. Exactly. You can't put definitions on gender when that just doesn't exist. No. It's a spectrum. That's right. Anyways. In 2012, three women's boxing events were added to the roster, and with the addition, women were now competing in all the same events as men. It's about goddamn time. 2012. I remember being excited about the news. (laughs) I remember being like, oh my god, we finally get all the same events as men! We made it! (laughs) Almost! And I hate that that happened in my lifetime. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. However, now... There are two sporting events that are solely for women that men don't compete in, which is synchronized swimming and rhythmic gymnastics. And interestingly enough, there was a request put in that was denied by the IOC, Mm -hmm. which feels like, listen, (laughs) it sounds like they just have issues with femme things, traditionally yes. female. Uh-huh. <laughs> and to see men compete in synchronized swimming and rhythmic gymnastics. Mm-hmm. Feels like the IOC doesn't want to see that. That's and I that feel yeah. Like that's also a problem. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'd w- I fucking love <laughs> rhythmic gymnastics. I'd watch anybody do it. It doesn't fucking matter to it- me. 
if there are, if not if, there are men competing in these sports, not yes. on the Olympic level. And I want to see it. I want to <laughs> fucking see it. Because rhythmic gymnastics, like you said, fucking wild to watch. They yeah. got that ball. That's yes. And the ribbon twirling and all, all of it. I want to see it. I was watching a video the other day of a rhythmic gymnast mm -hmm. who was doing the splits, except that the splits weren't on the ground. She was in a special machine that her put her legs like <gasps> further past no. what splits oh my gosh. are. That's wild. And that's just normal. <laughs> she, she, she's Gumby. <laughs> I want to see it. Yes. <laughs> I want to see a team of gorgeous men mm -hmm. synchronized swimming. Yeah. Swim caps and all. Glittery fucking Speedos. Let's do it. Or also, hear me out, a uh, mixed <gasps> yes! swimming team. For Christ's sake. Well, I don't understand why this is so hard. I don't either. Come on, guys. We could be <laughs> we're the IOC. Thank we're you. the IOC. We now. are now. <laughs> Watch out. We're coming in. Taking over. In 2012. Continuing. Mm -hmm. There was also a push by the Human Rights Watch was like, hey, um, maybe we should do more about the nations that are banning women from competing in sport. Yeah. Particularly Saudi Arabia. Yeah, that's a that's a big problem. Yeah. And I didn't write this down, but this is from memory. And this kind of pissed me off. There was an IOC response to that. And they were like, we don't believe it's right to have a hand in that, blah, 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 whatever. Sure. When I literally just read... <laughs> The IOC banned Afghanistan. Yeah, they clearly had no problem. Exactly. Hmm. There seems to be some some motivations. I wonder if we followed the money. Mm. Well, anyways. <laughs> Human Rights Watch was like, hey, do this. The IOC was like, eh, maybe not. But then later we're like, okay, fine, maybe we'll, we'll do it. And so they did. <laughs> And now we're up to this year's Olympics. Lay it on me. So this year's Olympics will be made of 48.8% women's athletes. Really? Yes. Holy it is, shit. It is the closest the games have ever been to an equal representation uh -huh. of men and women athletes. Uh -huh. And it will also feature the first out trans women to compete in the games, Laurel Hubbard, who is representing New Zealand in weightlifting. Weightlifting, yes! Yes. Oh my gosh! So That's so cool! Yeah. 48.8%. Mm -hmm. It's very exciting. Holy cow! But I will again point out as much as I yep. get excited about it, mm -hmm. there's still a long way to go. Yes. Because of the Sex verification testing that's happening and yeah. unfairly targeting women mm -hmm. and female identifying people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm excited. It's a, a lot of emotions going baby on. Baby steps. Me. It's baby steps. Okay, we're at 48.8 percent. Yeah. Now let's address this horseshit testosterone testing. Mm -hmm. Also, I would like to throw out there, Shikari. Uh, yeah. Fucking seriously. Yeah. Drug testing. Yeah. Needs to be brought into it. Yes. We and need to have a fucking discussion because, like, come on. Yeah. It's and 2021, for fuck's sake. <laughs> and this was limited to just the subject of specifically women in the Olympics. Mm -hmm. But, of course, we have to talk about the treatment of queer people. Yep. We have to talk about the treatment of people of color in the Olympics. People coming from lesser economically developed nations. Mm -hmm. All that. Yep. 
that is a we could talk about this for a long time yeah. but i tell you what that was fucking awesome Okay, I'm not done. Oh, you're not sorry, done. Oh my sorry, god. Okay. Sorry. Okay. Okay. <laughs> few more few more paragraphs. Okay. So, now that the highlights have brought us to modern times, I just have to say <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh, everything we just kind of said I'm going to say the written oh, version. Perfect. Yes. Every step that the Olympics has made towards bettering the treatment of athletes have been hard fought and won battles. They're not just going to do it. You have to bully them. Mm-hmm. And it's okay to bully <laughs> corporation yes it is <laughs> and committees that aren't people mm-hmm. furthermore there is a long way to go in regards to the equitable treatment of all athletes transphobia and the discrimination of intersex folks in the event has a long history and a strong presence in the modern day sport and the organization's belief that it can determine or measure gender by hormone testing is highly problematic and has unfairly targeted femme or female identifying athletes not only that the reporting of women's sports is discriminatory and needs to be addressed. That's right. A 2016 study published at Cambridge University Press by Cambridge University Press found that women were more likely to be described using physical features, age, marital status, and aesthetics than men were. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and men were described using more sport-related adjectives and descriptions. It has also been shown that commenters are more likely referred to female athletes using non-sporting terminology than they were for men. And 2000 Olympic medalist Denise Lewis also said that women were overly criticized for their looks while competing. Yep. This disparity in the quality of coverage has been attributed to the fact that 90% of sports journalists are male. Mm Mm-hmm. And now uh, that's the end of my story. We know what to work on. Team on three. One, two, three. Team! (laughs) That's all. (laughs) Now I'm done. (laughs) Great. That was awesome. You know what? Your five pages of notes, the fucking shit. Way to go. Uh, Thanks. Thanks, man. (laughs) (laughs) That was so good. I didn't know any of that because as much as I like the Olympics and enjoy watching them, I don't know bub kiss about them. <laughs> so that was a fucking amazing knowledge bomb. Yeah. And I, I don't know if I mentioned this earlier. I meant to. That was just the Summer Olympics. I, I was going to say that's <laughs> there's a whole other fucking season. Yeah. And I think at some point I will do the Winter Olympics. Excellent. Just not now because it's summertime. Yeah. yeah. But also fun, fun fact that I'm just remembering from my notes. Tell me. The highest number of female athletes for a long period of time was in skiing. Really? Yeah. Huh. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's very cool. I was like, I have a lot of questions that I'm going to have to like <laughs> Google later. And I was like, don't ask that. Canada didn't write that down. <laughs> I mean, she. there's a good chance she knows it off the top of her head. Mm-hmm. But I, one of the questions was going to be, what country has the most female athletes? I'm not positive, uh-huh. but I will say what I do know okay. is that the American team mm-hmm. has probably one of the higher numbers and also the higher success rates because mm-hmm. we have Title Nine. That's right. Which, if you haven't heard of Title Nine, it is a federal ruling mm-hmm. for the equal treatment of women in like anything that's getting federal money. So yes. specifically schools. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, it'd be interesting to do something on that because I do also know a lot about Title IX because I've written like two papers on it. Excellent. <laughs> I love when you do. <laughs> when I have random things. When you're like, 
this has to do with women. I know. I'll talk about that. <laughs> it's great. I think this particular, after our hiatus, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. There, It's just like, yeah, let's, let's stretch our legs a little bit and talk about more things mm-hmm. that have to do with women. And not just hyper-specifically that- broad. Exactly. We got to be broad about our broads. Hey. <laughs> hey. Okay. Uh, who, excellent. Who are you covering today? Okay. So I am going to talk about Geraldine Laybourne. Or oh. Jerry Laybourne. Okay. So this all came about because Danny and I, mm-hmm. <laughs> we grew up in this age of... TV for kids. Mm, okay. okay. So this all started because we watched The Orange Years, the Nickelodeon story. Oh, um, okay. I think it's... Did we watch it on Hulu? We watched it on Hulu. Mm-hmm. And it was such a fucking nostalgic trip into our childhoods. And apparently the whole time that Nickelodeon was fucking awesome (laughs) this woman jerry laybourne Mm -hmm. was at the head of it and was like yes do it yes that's great yes more of this (laughs) so i was like okay i need an i want an excuse to talk about how much i love nickelodeon (laughs) and jerry laybourne is fucking running the show hell yeah so here we go yeah all right jerry laybourne The woman who created the first network for kids. Ay. Ay. (laughs) Jerry Laybourne was raised in Martinsville, New Jersey. It's a very rural community. She is the second of four children, born to a former radio writer slash actress and a businessman. All right. So there's that. In 1969, she earned a Bachelor of Arts degree in art history from Vassar. Oh. And in 1971... (laughs) as she received a master of science degree in elementary education from the university of pennsylvania Hmm. so she's got her arts degree yeah she's now a teacher the resume's padded she knows kids she knows art that's right hell yeah which is also what i was going to do and then i was like maybe not it went in a slightly different direction Mm -hmm. but very cool So after college, Jerry had a bunch of different jobs. She worked at an architecture firm in Philadelphia for a little while. And then she worked as a teacher in Massachusetts. Then for a couple of years, Jerry worked as a festival coordinator of the New York American Film Festival. And also co-founded the Media Center for Children. So this co-founding the media center for children was like the the pathway yeah right of kind of honing what you're interested in and going okay yeah let's follow this little this half of the fork so in 1980 jerry was hired as a program manager at nickelodeon the network was only a year old and was trying to find its footing she began working with focus groups to figure out what was going to make Nickelodeon different from other networks? So when Nickelodeon started, it was programming for children. Mm-hmm. It was different than PBS. Okay. But, but 
one of the things, like, they would show these shows Mm -hmm. that were children who were, like, savants or (laughs) master pianists or soup, like, Olympic, you know, had Olympic dream type athletes. Mm -hmm. And... (laughs) Sorry, I was like, when was that 14-year-old doing the 10? Was exactly. she in there? <laughs> so kids would, like, watch this and be like, wow, <laughs> I can't do anything. Kids love the news. <laughs> Targeted at them is what exactly. was happening. Exactly. So children would watch this on Nickelodeon and be like, well, I feel terrible about myself. Oh. <laughs> I'm going to go do something else now. (laughs) So Jerry comes in and she's like, what are we going to do to turn this around, to make this something that children actually want to watch? So she had this crazy notion. Let's ask kids. (laughs) Oh, my God. I know, right? (laughs) Who would have thunk that by asking kids what they want to see or what they're interested in, would lead to successful programming. I wouldn't have saw it coming. <laughs> I, it seems so, so newfangled. So newfangled. <laughs> like, no joke. Yeah. Okay. It just ended child labor. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. A few years beforehand, they yeah. were finally like, what can kids do? Speak for themselves? Maybe. <laughs> Weird. Have thoughts and feelings? Yeah. Oh, jeez. Okay, so with two kids at home, Jerry was looking to create children's programming that kids actually liked and wanted to watch. So in exchange for donating TVs to schools, they had this agreement so that her and her team Mm -hmm. could come into classrooms, be like, tell us about your life and what's going on. What makes it hard to be a kid? What do you love about being a kid? Oh, that's kind of nice. They just went around and interviewed kids. Yeah, yeah. They just did almost like surveys to be like, we want to know about you. Mm -hmm. So this is a quote. Quote, quote, all you have to do is listen and provide a rich environment where they can be creative. And if you ask kids and involve them in the process, you get a much better product in the end. So one of the things that was really unique about Nickelodeon was we brought kids into the process. And that was number one. End quote. So Jerry became president of Nickelodeon in 1984, thus kicking off the, quote, orange years. A.K.A. the best decade of television ever made. (laughs) (laughs) Truly. The first thing they changed was the logo. Mm -hmm. Which, if you have ever seen Nickelodeon, you know it's a font. It's a very specific font. It is, let's see, the Pantone color is 021, is Nickelodeon orange. So basically, she reached out to the creators of the MTV logo. Mm-hmm. Like that sweet 1980s yeah. MTV logo. And what was really cool about it is it, it changed mm-hmm. constantly. Like yeah. it always had the M mm-hmm. and the little TV, but sometimes it was graffitied. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it was animated. Sometimes it had patterns. You know, it was never static. It was dynamic and interesting. But always recognizable. Always recognizable, though. Yeah. And they were like, yes, we need something that's going to 
keep people's attention, mm-hmm. that's going to change and be dynamic, mm-hmm. but recognizable. Hence, Pantone 021. <laughs> hey. <laughs> and it's, I mean, it worked. It sure did. <laughs> I know what orange you're talking about. Yep. yep. We saw, what did we see the other day? And I was like, that's Nickelodeon orange. That's what color that is. <laughs> Okay, so Jerry mm-hmm. is in charge. Mm-hmm. We've got a new brand. It's yeah. rebranded. It's identifiable. She was like, we've been talking to these kids. Mm-hmm. Now we need to start integrating the things that they're interested in and that they want to see. Mm-hmm. So she helped create all of these shows and basically hired people and said, go make something cool. You do this. You do that. So she helped create Double Dare, which, amazing. You, can, can it you was, explain it? I don't know it. You don't? <gasps> Listen, <gasps> you're talking to somebody who had basic television That's, until oh, I was okay. like sixth grade. Oh, my I, gosh. I was, uh, I was watching PBS and the news, and that's why I'm the way I am. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> why i am the way i am it's true because there are definitely things about me that's like you watched nickelodeon as a kid didn't you you bet your sweet ass i did childhood things explain a lot about like current quirks that yes you have. they sure do okay oh my gosh canna i told you i needed an episode that i that i just wanted to talk about how much i love nickelodeon and here you go and here we are i've been presented oh what a gift you've given me today Okay. Call me Santa. Oh, sweet Jesus. <laughs> okay. Where do I begin? We'll begin at Double Dare, which was one of the very first shows. People love a game show. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Double Dare was a combination of a trivia type game show mm-hmm. with not stunts, but Double Dares yeah. and things that, like okay. gross things to do so two teams would like answer questions and get points and whoever got the most points Mm -hmm. went and did the obstacle course okay and the obstacle course contained things like a giant nose Mm -hmm. that you had to like reach up into and there was like green slime in it and you had to find the flag and then hand it over to the next person and it was like a relay mm-hmm. right okay. so there was also of <laughs> all the body part ones really <laughs> were like disgustingly fun so there was a mouth where you had to like climb through like over the teeth and then slide down the tongue which just was like this pile of goo Ugh. and again you had to like search through it mm-hmm. to find a flag to move on to the next and you got points and and stuff as you went. And then there was family double dare where whole families competed. Oh my God. What a riot. That's fun. I wanted so badly. Is that the start of the like slime? Yes. The like Nickelodeon slime. Yep. Yeah. Icon. <laughs> yeah. Okay. They were cool. like, they were like, what do kids love? Gross shit. They love gross shit. <laughs> I know. Let's have them dig through slime and grossness mm-hmm. on their bellies. <laughs> <laughs> up to their elbows and just blech. Man, why do kids like gross shit? Because they're gross. Because <laughs> they're just disgusting. 
Okay. So that was Double Dare. And then they continued on this because they were like, everybody loves game shows. Mm-hmm. So then there was Nick Arcade, okay. where they played arcade games, but in real life, which was cool because they'd have like a setup and then like green screened mm-hmm. it behind them. So it looked like they were in, you know, oh. Donkey Kong or something <laughs> climbing up ladders. Very cool. Yeah, that is cool. Okay. Oh, man. This is. You thought that episode was long. Let me talk about all of these TV shows that I love so much. <laughs> Did you see the look on her face? Immediately unhappy. <laughs> she was having a good time talking about shows. And then and then, and then fucking stone faced and put her headphones back in so she didn't have to hear this bullshit. <laughs> so we appreciate you, Danny. <laughs> So all of these shows didn't come out all at once, mm-hmm. but like every couple of years it was like, oh, here's a new, oh, here's a new one. So they had this huge hit with Double Dare. Mm-hmm. And then they started with a couple of scripted shows. They had Salute Your Shorts, which was a great TV show. It had a diverse cast. Mm-hmm. They were all like young teenagers at a summer camp doing silly things <laughs> like the awful waffle which nobody really knows what it is but it's a prank that the bully pulled on people so it was just it was really great and then there was another one called hey dude which was again a bunch of like young teenagers at a dude ranch it was oh. just a scripted comedy show i i didn't think it was going to be at a dude ranch yeah oh no it's totally at a dude ranch <laughs> that's awesome in like arizona So they have these scripted, almost like sitcom type of shows. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't have a laugh track or anything, but here's the pivotal point. Jerry, who's the president right now, hires this woman named Vanessa Coffey, who's amazing. And she goes, I want you to find us animators. The one thing we don't have, we got game shows, we got these TV shows, we need animation because that's what that's what kids want. Mm-hmm. Because you know what? Disney. They're they're killing it. <laughs> they really know animation. They do. So Vanessa Coffey is given this mission mm-hmm. to go out find creators. Mm-hmm. So she does. And within two weeks, she brought back Rugrats, <gasps> Doug, uh, and Ren and Stimpy. Uh, I know those. Oh, yeah, you do. (laughs) So Jerry told her programmers to think like a kid and find the shows and creators who would bring them to life. She did. And bada bing, bada boom. You have the three iconic, iconic Nickelodeon cartoons. But then also, hilariously enough, the people at MTV Mm -hmm. had passed on Ren and Stimpy. Because Ren and Stimpy originally, fun fact, originally were two characters from a larger cartoon Mm -hmm. storyline. And when Vanessa Coffey saw the animation and everything, she was like, these two. I want this fucking weird cat and this crazy chihuahua. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Make a show about them. Mm -hmm. I want those two. And then after... 
how successful they were, mm-hmm. MTV was like, oh, well, we should, they should be on our network because, quite frankly, Ren and Stimpy, <laughs> we've all seen Ren and Stimpy, I think. So it's not the, necessarily. <laughs> the jokes are a little more adult. Exactly. Than children. Exactly. So MTV was like, that should be on our network because we have Beavis and Butthead mm-hmm. and it's less than but more similar to. <laughs> Yeah. It's not Rugrats. Yeah. Let's be clear. <laughs> so, yeah, they got all butthurt about that. And I thought that was very funny. Well, that's their fault. It, yeah, it is. <laughs> so with so much success, Jerry believed they needed their own space. Oh. So they were like, we need our own studios to keep pumping out this quality content that kids love. Yeah. They're doing very well. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Very quickly, too. Yeah. So basically, she went to the couple of guys over at Universal, mm-hmm. and she was like, oh, you guys are new on the block. How are things? <laughs> because to tell you what, your next door neighbors have a very famous mouse that is just bringing in all that cash money. Yeah. So let us be your mouse. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how Nickelodeon Studios was born. And that's the iconic Nickelodeon Studios building, Mm -hmm. which is several floors. All of them are painted a different color. There's like zebra print outside. But then there's also the water fountain outside that's like bright green slime. Yeah. (laughs) Completely removed from what we know reality as. Exactly. (laughs) It's so cool. And they, they filmed all their shows there. Mm-hmm. But they also did studio tours where you could like walk through and just like look through a window and they'd be oh, filming cool. Double Dare. Oh, that's really cool. It's so cool. It's like the behind the scenes magic that everybody wants to see. Mm-hmm. And as soon as it opened for studio tours, mm-hmm. booked solid. Like it was oh. busy every single day, constant flow of people because. Kids were obsessed, including but not limited to me, but I never got to see it, which is very sad. Oh, <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's okay. I've worked my I've worked through my grief about it. All right. The Nickelodeon team brought so many of my personal favorite childhood characters to life and quite frankly taught me about the world in a way that I could identify with. I absolutely remember watching Clarissa Explains It All. She was a little bit older than me, but I was like, man, I want to be that fucking cool someday. She's smart as hell. She is fashionable. She's got a cool friend who's not a boyfriend, but like is a friend who's a boy. And I have that. And she wears great shoes. (laughs) You know, so like, and she's got a pet alligator. Exactly. So there's... There was a lot from Clarissa Explains It All that was like, oh, I identify with her. I want to be her. She's cool as shit. Mm -hmm. But then also, all that, if you've never seen all that, it's like SNL, but for teenagers. Speaking of SNL, Kenan Thompson. Kenan Thompson, exactly. Full circle, man. Started with all that and is now Mm -hmm. a staple of the SNL cast. staple. And he's hilariously funny. Mm -hmm. And the whole, all that was weird. It was quirky and weird and made jokes that 
we all understood. Mm -hmm. But also, it had a wildly diverse cast. Yeah. Not only people of slightly different ages Mm -hmm. and different colors, but from different parts of the country. Mm -hmm. You know? They had actors from Atlanta and New York and California and Chicago. Mm -hmm. All kind of came together. Not to mention the musical acts on all that were like, oh, I don't know, TLC and Aaliyah and Coolio and Dr. Dre. And it was just fucking cool. (laughs) It's so fucking cool. And it was like, that was my first introduction. Because I tell you what, I grew up listening to classic rock Mm -hmm. because that's what my dad likes. 70s. You, we talked about it the other Fucking day. A. You love I, 70s rock. I love 70s rock. I love all the music from the 70s. Rock, disco, everything in between. Oh, yeah. Give it to me. <laughs> Country from the 70s? Are you kidding? Get out of here. And also growing up, so I, that was, my dad liked that kind of music. My mom liked oldies, like 50s, 60s type oldies, mm-hmm. but also like 90s country music. So the point is, all that was my first introduction to like hip hop and rap and R and B as oh all good all good, good. <laughs> all good at that oh, yeah gosh, so good oh, good so anyway all we love that music holy shit we do <laughs> all that just really took it home and was like this is new and exciting and I can't wait I can't wait to 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 be in this. <laughs> And then the last thing about, specifically about Nickelodeon that I made a note of. Oh, two things. Excuse me. Nick News Mm -hmm. was a very important TV show. Mm -hmm. They did a really great segment on it in the documentary, The Orange Years. Nick News with Linda Ellerby was so good because it was this perfect way to talk about big things in the news that were happening with children in a way that children could understand specifically in the documentary it made me cry because of course it did but when magic johnson was diagnosed with hiv they had a whole episode of nick news where magic johnson came in there are a whole bunch of kids and linda ellerby goes if you've been diagnosed with HIV, raise your hand. And Magic Johnson raises his hand. And then three other little kids from the ages of like six to probably 13 or 14. Just a mix mm-hmm. a mix of these kids. And there's this really heartwarming interaction between Magic Johnson and this little girl who's sitting next to him. And she starts to cry. And she's like, I just want to be treated like other people. Yeah. And it was like this... This is fucking perfect. Why don't we have more of this? Yeah. Because kids aren't dumb. No. <laughs> and kids are affected by things. And absolutely kids are affected by terrible things. Mm-hmm. And to get perspective and have empathy, mm-hmm. we need to not hide everything from them to make it seem like the world is perfect and magical and wholesome and wonderful for all children because it's not yeah and so that was like what a good show Mm -hmm. it was it was that was really like oh got me yeah and the intent of it is so pure like it's purely good yeah we want to teach kids 
we want to make we sure wanna... that kids are keeping up with the events of the day so yeah. that they aren't blindsided by exactly. things. Exactly. Exactly. Like, they need to know that the world isn't a fairy tale all the time. Mm-hmm. So that when they become grownups, they're not like, oh, my God. Or even just like they're not alone. Yes. Like if they're struggling. Yep. Exactly. They don't have to keep things a secret. Like the little that's amazing because mm-hmm. you when you think of the HIV and AIDS ep- epidemic, epidemic. Mm-hmm. it centers around the queer community. Mm hmm. Obviously, because they were the most affected by it. Yeah. But you don't think about, like, the age range at which HIV and AIDS were Mm -hmm. affecting people. And it did include children because children were are born with HIV and Mm -hmm. AIDS at times. Yeah. I wish I didn't know that was a thing. And that's amazing. Oh, it's so good. I wish and maybe there is. And I just don't know about it because I'm not watching children's programming anymore. (laughs) But I hope Mm -hmm. that if not now. That somebody will, like, make it happen again Mm -hmm. because we live in an age of information (laughs) and it should be shared with everyone, not just people who have internet access or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Anyway, last bit, are you afraid of the dark? Holy shit. (laughs) (laughs) Always good. It was absolutely one of those TV shows where it was like, it was on SNCC, which was Saturday Night Nick. Oh. And that's when, like, all that came on. Mm -hmm. And all of the shows that were maybe a little bit older for the tweens who who had to be in by the time the streetlights went on, Mm -hmm. but were not quite old enough to go and do other things on the Saturday night. So Kids are up until 18. And that's a wide range of... (laughs) From 1 to 18. It's a lot of interests. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, Are You Afraid of the Dark was... I watched a lot of horror movies. Too young. Thanks, Dad. But <laughs> are you afraid of the dark? I was like, I want to be part of the Midnight Society so bad. Damn it. How do I make this happen? Mm-hmm. Also, can I start my own? Is there a chapter that I can have in Garrettson? Because that would be fucking cool as shit. That would be cool as shit. So anyway, again, loved it. Amazing. Okay, I'm done talking about Nickelodeon. We're going to go back to Jerry for a second. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about Jerry. Okay. So under Jerry's leadership of all these fucking amazing shows, Mm -hmm. Nickelodeon became the top rated 24 hour cable programming service. Oh, wow. Yeah. I did not know that. (laughs) Straight to the top. And it won Emmy Awards, Peabody Awards, and Parent Choice Awards. Yes. I didn't know there was a Parents Choice Award. There is a Parents <laughs> Choice Award. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. But the big one, Peabody Award. Oh, yeah. That's fucking important. Yeah. Not well, a lot of people get those. And the Nick the Nick News, mm-hmm. that seems like yes, <laughs> ripe for a Peabody. That, that's exactly it. The network had a 40% profit margin, which means they were making money hand over fist, and uh, explosive growth every year. Just... New content was coming out, and people were like, holy, it's just getting better. Like I said, best decade of television I've ever seen. So she built this tiny, nobody really likes it that much, cable programming to, like, this crazy, crazy thing. Mm -hmm. It turned into an $8 billion business and employed over 300 people. 
Wow. I mean, that was just, it's got way more now. <laughs> yeah. But I like, would imagine so. From going to like five employees in 1980 mm-hmm. to over 308 billion dollar business. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> holy wow. So. Profit. <sighs> yeah, it is. <laughs> There's a whole thing about marketing that I didn't talk about and like advertising to children specifically oh yeah you know regulations and stuff. and all, all sorts of stuff that i didn't talk about but because it's boring <laughs> nickelodeon had hit its peak and jerry believed it was time for her to move on so after 16 years devoted to growing the network into a mecca for children jerry left to become president of the disney abc cable networks traitor <laughs> traitor that's what i said when i first when i was like i'm sorry she did what how very dare she but good for her for doing what's good for her i guess uh, moving up and moving on yeah i understand it's all part of your growth and your journey mm-hmm. and she was with them for a year and helped oversee the programming of the disney channel when it was kind of in its infancy and also represented like Lifetime, A&E, E! Exclamation point. <laughs> and the History Channel. She played a role in the creation and management of ABC's Saturday Morning. Oh. So like Recess and Pepper Ann and all of those shows that I didn't watch because I had Nickelodeon. <laughs> but all the shows that I watched. All the shows that you I watched. didn't have Exactly, cable. because they were on yeah. the, big, the big networks. That's right. <laughs> I know. I knew um, where kids belonged on Saturday morning. <laughs> yeah. In front of their TVs with a bowl of cereal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Jerry spent two years at Disney, but left, obviously, not too far into it because she said that she felt stifled by the corporate structure at Disney yeah. and wanted to create something new again instead of jumping in and taking over the ship. Filling a slot. In exactly. the Disney machine. Yeah. So in 1998, Jerry left Disney and partnered with Oprah Winfrey and Casey Werner Productions to create Oxygen Media. Like? Like Oxygen. Oh. Like the network that is strictly true crime shows now. That's strictly snap. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Women who murder. <laughs> Yep. Oh, wow. Yeah, exactly. I didn't know that Oprah had a hand in that. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yep. Wow. Jerry and Oprah and Casey Werner Productions were like, let's do it. I don't think it originally started out to be strictly true crime, Mm -hmm. but here we are. Yeah. This was a fun thing. On February 2nd, 2000, (laughs) which is 0202. Oh. uh, Two. (laughs) Is the chemical compound of oxygen. Oh, I love that. Clever. I love that. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Yep. So the Oxygen Network premiered to 10 million subscribers, which is very impressive. Uh, The company went on to be profitable only four years later and was sold in 2007 to NBC Universal for $925 million. Casual, just a small amount of money. <laughs> yeah, pocket <laughs> change, truly. Yeah, at the end of her time there, Oxygen had two hundred and seventy thousand primetime weekday viewers 
in 74 million homes. So it went from, in less than 10 years, it went from, hey, Oprah. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to join me and start a cable program for women? And Oprah was like, hell yeah, I do. To being in 74 million homes. Damn. Damn is right. That's a lot of homes. Yeah. So, Jerry has been inducted into the Advertising Hall of Fame and the Television Hall of Fame. Mm. She also won the Muse Award, which is from the New York Women in Film and Television. Not company. I don't know what it's called. (laughs) It's the New York Film and Television. (laughs) New York Women in Film and Television. Their Muse Award. Mm Mm-hmm. She was ranked number one in the Hollywood Reporter's 50 Most Influential Women in the Entertainment Industry. I would number one. Bet. Fucking what's up? <laughs> I haven't heard of her, but what you're telling me now, yeah, she fucking is. Yeah, she's the fucking... most influential person. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And lastly, she was in Time Magazine as one of the 25 most influential people in America. You know? I can believe that, too. Yeah. That's amazing. Yes. is wild. And she's still doing it. Yeah. She's... Still alive? Still... Yep. Wow. Yeah. That's a big effect on society. (laughs) It's a huge... Again, the whole Nickelodeon thing. I am merely one person. Yes. (laughs) Right? Uh Uh-huh. But, like, Danny and I and people who were a couple years older than us... Mm -hmm. And a few years younger than us, yeah. very much in that age range, prime viewers yeah. of Nickelodeon in whatever form that took. That's a that's an entire generation of kids. And that's not to say that after Jerry left, it wasn't good anymore, <laughs> but it was different. Mm-hmm. They had a lot more animation. It was very animation heavy. Mm-hmm. And it didn't have the... And have that, I forget his name. The creep. Yep. <laughs> Nickelodeon has yep. a creep. Nickelodeon has a creep indeed. <laughs> creep in its, in its, what's his name? Dan, Dan Schneider? That feels like a person. So if I'm wrong, I think that is actually slander. <laughs> so hold on. Yeah. Dan yeah. Schneider is the creep. Problematic. Bring back Jerry. <laughs> Bring back Jerry. Exactly. Who needs his, uh, He's Listen, guy. <laughs> Jerry, the children need your help. Please come back to Nickelodeon and get some new goddamn programming going. Jerry, we're begging you. Please. Anyway. That was great. That's all I got. That's what a cool person. Yes. She was. She is. She's <laughs> super so cool. cool. She would be very, very interesting to sit down and have a conversation with. Yeah. Like she's interviewed along with a bunch of like stars from shows that were on Nickelodeon. Larissa Olenek mm-hmm. is in there. Melissa Joan Hart has thoughts and feelings and talks about Clarissa. And it's just like, yeah, yeah. that's that's what's up. <laughs> so it's a really great documentary. I've watched it twice now. If you were a Nickelodeon kid, it'll give you the warm and fuzzies and remind you of past yeah. easier days. <laughs> Not the hellscape we're living in now. <laughs> well... That's all we got for you today, kids. Yeah. <laughs> I like how you signed it off like a Nickelodeon. Like, it's <laughs> all we have today, kids. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. If 
you were interested in that episode and you were like, oh, I want to tell somebody about it. Yes. You can rate, review, and subscribe. <laughs> nice. <laughs> please, please do it. Yeah. It it looks good for us. It does. We love we love a five star review. If it's any less than that, be kind, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so do that. And if you like Kiana mentioned earlier, <laughs> if you have uh, suggestions or just comments, concerns, anything, reach out and email us at thatbroadscottmoxie at gmail dot com. Also, go ahead and take a gander at our social media accounts. We mm-hmm. are at that Scott Moxie. On Facebook and Instagram, and at Broadscott Moxie on Twitter. That's right. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Music by Sage Krenning. Cover art by Vinny Navarrete. Produced and edited by Danielle Barsanti. Side effects of listening to this podcast may include excessive moxie, zero tolerance for the patriarchy, sass mouth, excessive sweating, tipsy tittering, desire to stick into the metaphorical man, fear of cats, empowering women, clammy hands and feet, the inability to do math, lack of patience for the bullshit, thirst for knowledge, questioning the system, cravings for bougie chicken, vodka, and justice, and in some cases can cause death on hills.